most of us start off each day with the same routine. Uh, that routine is to roll out of bed, put your feet on the ground, uh, and then we have a trip to a room that's pretty close to us, and one of the first things you do is you look into a mirror. So, and what you see there sometimes uh, is scary, if you're me, uh, and it just shows you a lot of different things you have to, uh, to take care of. And uh, you, have you ever noticed you come back to the mirror more than once every morning? You kind of start off looking in the mirror like, oh, that's rough. You, then you make your coffee, you have your breakfast, you do your reading, if that's what you do in the morning. Uh, and then you get ready to go and you come back to that mirror. And there's a reason why you go to the mirror. You go to the mirror because the mirror shows you like when your hairs, when you have as few hairs as I do, you, they're plural. So your hairs are out of place, not your hair. Uh, and so you got to fix those, uh, maybe wipe something off of your face. or uh, And so we, we use the mirror to make sure that the mirror uh, uh, lets us walk out of the house in somewhat a presentable manner. Yeah. Here's a couple things about the mirror. It, it only reflects what it sees. Right? It's, a, it's kind of one of those things like sometimes we wish it would reflect something different, but the thing that's standing in front of the mirror, the person that's in front of the mirror, it's just going to reflect that person, that image, exactly what it sees. And if we ignore the mirror or what it shows us, we will find ourselves oftentimes in embarrassing situations like I did when I was eight years old. I think I was around eight years old. We went to a swimming pool and uh, we had our fun in the swimming pool and I went back into the locker room to change. And, and before I walked out of the locker room, I didn't look into the mirror uh, because in getting dressed, what I did is I put on my t-shirt, I had on my underwear and I put on my socks and my shoes and I walked out of the locker room in my underwear, t-shirt, socks and shoes. Uh, <laughs> So I was so traumatized at that moment, I still remember it today. Uh, so the mirror gives us an opportunity to fix things that are wrong, and we have to abide by what that mirror shows us. So I'm going to make a hard right turn here, but I'm going to come back to that mirror here in a few moments. Have you ever thought about like holidays and the weirdness of holidays and what we do with them, right? I mean, each holiday is different. On New Year's, I believe that happens on the same day every year. We celebrate the fact that we get a new year. We've made it through the previous year uh, and we're looking forward maybe to the next year, doing something different, having some kind of challenge. Uh, uh, then uh, there's President's Day. This is one where I don't, I really don't, it's a day off of work for some people. Uh, that's what we do. We think about the presidents that we have. Then there's the 4th of July. Uh, and we celebrate that fact uh, by defeating the nation of England. Uh, England calls it the 4th of July. We call it Independence Day. They call it Happy Traders Day. Uh, so it's something that, that we have. What about the traditions that we have, like eating sauerkraut on New Year's Eve? Whoever made up that tradition needs to be tarred and feathered because that stuff stinks. <laughs> Blowing things up on the 4th of July. I think about my friend Scott sitting back here. 4th of July is his favorite holiday. He, he likes to blow things up. Cookouts on Memorial Day and Labor Day. Putting up Christmas trees during the Christmas season. Then there's Easter. And so growing up, I had this interesting view of Easter. I'm not quite sure where it came from, but I had this belief that if it were to rain on Easter Sunday, then it was going to rain the next seven Sundays. And, and I hated that fact because the weekend was the only time to be outside uh, and playing. I also remember kids in our neighborhood walking out of their houses all dressed up. And I was really confused by this because these were the same kids that most of the time would run around the streets with me playing football games and getting into trouble. But now this one day a year, they came out of their house all dressed up, all of their families dressed up. And, and and I think maybe a couple times I wondered if somebody died because the only time I'd ever seen uh, people dressed up was for a funeral. Uh, and so for me, Easter was about the, the bunny. 
the baskets with candy. Uh, couldn't wait to get that Easter basket and see what kind of candy was in it. To throw away the peeps, whoever likes those peeps, there's something wrong with you. I mean, I, you can disagree with me and be wrong if you want, but uh, so, I'm just kidding. That's horrible. Uh, when I became a follower of Christ, the understanding of what Easter is changed. As a matter of fact, I don't really like to call it Easter anymore. I like to call it Resurrection Sunday because there's something tremendous that took place. As Christians, we hold this day to be sacred. And it's interesting that as you open up this book and you begin to read, nowhere does this book tell us to hold Easter any more sacred than any other day. As a matter of fact, we hold two days sacred in the Christian calendar, and it's Christmas and Easter. And once again, try to find in the book where we should do those things. But we do. We do. What are we celebrating? We're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus was alive, that he was dead, that he came back to life again, defeating the power of sin and death. And for every follower of Christ, this is something that's to be celebrated every day of the year. It's not just one moment that we set aside for this thing. It's, it's every day, every minute we're supposed to honor the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can I ask a couple of tough, tough questions? Here's the first one. When Jesus died for the sins of the world, resurrected from the grave, ascended into heaven and left the church with the command to go and make disciples, do you think that he pictured this? Do you think that he pictured setting aside one day and making a big deal out of his resurrection? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's supposed to be so much more than that. Far too often we've preached and settled for a form of Christianity that focuses on the wrong things. And like, and like many of us believe that Jesus lived, died, was buried, resurrected in the grave so that when we put our faith in him that we could have, well, that we could have the hope of heaven and heaven was enough. If we just have this carrot of heaven being out there, uh, then that can get us through anything and everything in life. Is that what we've heard in the gospel? Is that how we've proclaimed the gospel? That's not what the Bible tells us to do. Did Jesus defeat the power of sin and death on the cross so that we could one day to go, to go to heaven? Was that his primary point? Or, or did he defeat the power of sin and death on the cross so that we could live resurrected lives today? That, that, that we have hope today. That there's power for something today. It's not something that we're waiting on to happen a great book written by the man of N.T. Wright called the, Rev the Day the Revolution Began. He writes these words, Western culture has been so wedded to the platonic idea that God's purpose for humans is to leave this world and go to heaven, to be with him, as opposed to the biblical idea that God's purpose for humans is to reflect the praises of creation back to him and to reflect his image into the world so that ultimately heaven and earth will be one that many who hear and understand the point I have been making will still, still try to see in, uh, it as an illustration rather than as a part of the story in which Jesus and his followers were still living. He, he, conclu he concludes in that thought, I believe that Jesus died to defeat the power of sin, rose from the grave to defeat the power of death, and has a present purpose for our salvation. And that's what I want to cover for us today. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this moment for this time that we have set aside to come and celebrate the resurrection of Christ. May your word challenge us to be different when we leave here today. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So now we'll go back to the mirror. 
Have you ever wondered, wouldn't it be great if we had like a spiritual mirror that we could look into that, that as we have this mirror, it would reflect back to us who we are, what we're doing, those, those adjustments that we need to make in our lives so that, that we can actually begin to reflect the image of God in us back to the world. I, I do believe that the Bible does give us indeed such a, uh, a passage and, and it's found in Colossians. A few years back, while studying through the book of Colossians, I, I ran across this passage of Scripture that, that I saw as a mirror, right? And, and I thought it happened to be close to an Easter weekend. And so I thought, man, I want to preach something a little different for Easter other than what, what's normally there. And, and that's what this sermon was born out of. Before we dig into it, we got to get a little bit of background about the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians. It was one of his prison letters, meaning he wrote it, the letter while he was in prison. Each New Testament letter was written for a specific occasion or purpose. And, and this one, scholars are kind of divided. What was he trying to write for? It's clear that he was battling a couple of groups of false teachers. There were the Gnostics, those that believed that all evil is, ma I mean, all matter is evil. Therefore, Jesus couldn't have been man and God because God couldn't take on flesh because flesh was evil. Then there were the Judaizers. These were Jewish Christians that wanted to put parts of the law of Moses on top of Christianity. Namely, if a man was to give his life to Christ who was not a Jew, that he had to be circumcised. Uh, and so they had a hard time in evangelism with that. Uh, and so here's what they were focusing in on. I believe that uh, he was dealing with both of these groups of people. Paul opens up his letter by thanking God for three elements found in the church there. Their faith in Christ, their love for one another, and their hope in the gospel message. In chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, he gives us this great explanation of an image of who Jesus is. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the creator of all things. By him, all things were made through him and for him. He's the sustainer of all things. He's the head of the church, the body of Christ. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So to see Jesus is to see God. To listen to Jesus is to listen to God. Paul then goes on to remind the followers of Christ in Colossae that they were once alienated from God because of their sin. Their sin separated them from God. But God reconciled them through the cross of Jesus Christ. And not only that, they have been filled with the Holy Spirit, which is Christ in them, the hope of glory. That's, that's a lot of, uh, a couple of chapters there of covering things, but I, I do want to read chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 say this, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Therefore, whenever you see a therefore, remember it's there for a reason. Paul is tying a few things together. There's a present expectation of what it means to walk with Christ. There's a present expectation of what it means to walk with him. God just doesn't save us, give us this hope of heaven, give us the Holy Spirit so that we can run out and do amazing things to build up our own ego. Uh, no, he has this expectation of how we are to live. Verses like these, right, when we read these, as you have received Christ, what? Walk in him. Walk in him. Verses like that scare hell right into me. Because it helps me to understand there is some kind of expectation for how I'm supposed to walk as a follower of Christ. And in chapter 3, I'm sorry, let me read verses 8 through 15 now. 8 through 15. 
chapter 2, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off of the body of the flesh by circumcision of Christ. Look at verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you, who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So Paul's clear. They were buried with baptism. They were raised with Christ, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. They were made alive together with Christ. They're forgiven of their trespasses all through Christ, nailing their debt to the cross. And what is true of them is true of us today, or at least it should be uh, of us. And so this morning, I want to take a look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, and use these as a spiritual mirror in which we should see a few things about us. If we're living the resurrected life, looking into this spiritual mirror, there's a few things that we'll see about us. And the first thing is that we will see one who is seeking Christ. One who is seeking Christ. Look at Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. If then you have been raised. Paul's not saying like, well, maybe not. What what he's saying is if you count yourself a follower of Christ, if you've been raised with Christ, there are a couple of things that you should do. This is pointing back to his baptism, pointing back to the uh, being raised with power, pointing back to being made alive together with Christ. And he gives us two verbs here, two verbs that should be action statements for us. And he says, look again, he says, seek the things that are above. Seek is the first one where Christ is seated at the right hand. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. So if I'm understanding this correctly from God's word, there's an expectation of what my life is supposed to look like after I give my life to Christ. I'm supposed to start seeking different things. My mind is supposed to be set somewhere different. This is what the resurrected life in Christ looks like. A.W. Tozer in his book, The Pursuit of God, wrote these words. To have found God and still pursue him is one of souls, the soul's paradox of love, scorned indeed by the too easily satisfied religionist, but justified in happy experience by the children of the burning heart. And here's what's happened so much with us, friends. What happens is, is that when we really believe that the primary reason that Jesus died on the cross is so that we could have the hope of heaven and we live our Christian life out that way, what happens is, is we seek him long enough just to get enough of Jesus to have the hope of heaven, just to get enough of Jesus to maybe get our guilt away from us a little bit. But as I read this text and as I read so many more texts in God's word, what it tells us is that once we come to know this love of Christ, love of God in Christ, That should change every aspect of what we're seeking in this world. 
what we've set our minds on in this world. God wants so much more for us than just the hope of heaven when we die. He wants us to have a relationship with him now, a relationship that will help us to see life more clearly, a relationship that will help us to trust him more fully. And with that in mind, Paul says, seek. Seek what's above. Set your mind on what is above. Why? It's pretty simple. That's where Jesus is. That's where he is. If, you've, if you're married, if you've been married, if you want to be married, one of the things you understand is that in order to have any healthy relationship, there's work that has to go into it. And do you recall that time? It's changed today. You know, you recall that time when you, you found the person you fell in love with. When I was younger, you, you'd talk on the phone and, and, and you'd start to fall asleep on the phone maybe. And, and so then you say, no, you hang up. And what did the person on the other end say? No, you hang up. Uh, now, guys, if you didn't do that, you're lying. You know you did. <laughs> yeah, so you know you did. And what do you do now? You text last. No, you know you text last. I don't know what it does. But he, here's the thing with that, right? When you love someone, you cannot wait to be with them. You can't wait. You want to spend every single moment you can with that person. Like, when you love God and when you love Christ, the same is true. And what often happens in marriage relationships is we stop doing the things we did at first. We stop finding ways to pursue the one that we love, and we start taking that relationship for granted. And we start to focus on what? The worries of the world, the challenges that come in. And the same thing happens with Christ, when really all we want is the hope of heaven. See, the hope of heaven doesn't carry us too strong or too far. You know, true obedience to Christ comes from an understanding of love. Could it, be, could it be that this was the problem in the church of Ephesus? Do you remember the church in Ephesus there in the book of Revelation? Jesus spoke these words through John's pen. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. Man, that sounds really good up to this point, right? You hate evil. You, you really love the truth of God's word. You hold other people accountable to the truth of God's word. Listen what he goes on. Verse 3, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and have not grown weary, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the things you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Is that the same problem they had? And church, can, can, can we just have an honest moment together with each other? Maybe just an honest moment between you and God or that spiritual mirror that you're looking into. Can, can you say today that as a result of Jesus living, dying on the cross, being placed in the grave, resurrecting from that grave, ascending into heaven and saying one day he's going to come back to us. Can you say that because of that, man, I'm seeking him above all things. I've set my mind on him above all things. Or has something replaced that first love of Christ? Right. We, we, it's not too hard to figure it out, right? We know where we're spending our time, our money, our talents, and our gifts. And there are times that we deceive ourselves and we allow a false Christianity to give us a false hope. And they say, well, you know, I, I, just, I said a prayer. I've been baptized. I'm in the right church. I'm doing, no. Are you seeking Christ? Are you seeking him? Are you in his word? 
One of the reasons that we stop seeking Christ is we've forgotten exactly what took place in our relationship with Christ. We are sinners. We're, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead. Do we understand that? Dead. We weren't sick. We weren't not well. We were dead. Our sins completely uh, uh, killed us spiritually before God. But God made us alive together with Christ. We place our faith with him. We died with him and our lives. I love what he says. I love what he says there in verses three and four. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him. The way I read scripture, and I come to a verse like that, Paul, a Holy Spirit-inspired writer of God's word, when he says, when Christ, who is your life, it causes a pause in me. Is he my life? Is, is he my life or is he just an add-on? Is he my life or does he just get a piece of the pie? Is he my life or do I just want enough of him for my guilt to be taken care of and for the hope of heaven? Because he says when he appears, you will appear with him. We must constantly have these thoughts on our mind. The Bible is full of passages of Scripture that remind us that we should seek Christ above all things. Hebrews 11:6. and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Luke chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened to him. So this first reflection that we should see is one who is seeking Christ. Here's a second reflection as we're gazing into the spiritual mirror. We should see one who is putting sin to death. Putting sin to death. This is where it gets a little bit more challenging, right? We're good when it comes to that whole seeking, the things that are above, setting our minds on the things that are above. But then when we do, right, when we look into that spiritual mirror, don't we often find things that are just out of place? Don't we often find things that need fixed up a little bit? Let, let's not even think about the spiritual mirror. How many people actually go to the mirror and, and have a Ron Burgundy moment, right? You're looking in the mirror and you say, hey, guys, come and see how good I look. <laughs> Very few of us have those moments. Most of the time, we look into the mirror and we think, man, oh, gosh, I, I need some of that spray-on hair stuff to cover up that spot. Gosh, I got these spots coming on my face. You know, is that cancer? I think it's cancer. No, it's just an age spot. You're getting old. You know, that's what happens when we get in the mirror. And, and here's the thing that happens oftentimes when we come to church. So many times we come to church or we, we want to hear a preacher on the radio or we want to sing a song that makes us feel good. And, and we just want somebody to come and pat us on the back like, man, you're just doing a great job. And every now and then we need that. But I'm telling you, when we really gaze into the spiritual mirror of what God's word calls us for us to do, there are times that our sin slaps us in the face. Please don't hear what I'm not saying to you. I'm not saying your sin slaps you in the face. My sin slaps me in the face daily. Daily. And if I'm really seeking what's above, setting my mind on what's above, what happens is, is that I get, begin to internalize some things about me. And as I internalize those things, if I'm becoming more and more like Christ, those things that disappoint him should disappoint me. Those things that caused his death should be things that I'm trying to put to death in my own life. Not making excuses for it. Not getting mad at the messenger for bringing it up. 
but just realizing something needs to change. Have you ever noticed how we give ourselves an out when it comes to our own sin, right? We say things like, well, that's just me. I tell it like it is. No, you're a jerk. That's just me. I struggle with an addiction. No, you're really choosing to worship that addiction more than God. Whether it be sex or alcohol or drugs or the American dream, we could keep filling these things in over and over. I still remember my friend Joel, and I know I've mentioned it to you. He was here at our sunrise service, but when he looked at me one day in a men's group, and he said to me, hey, Larry, shouldn't I expect not to sin? And right away I blurted out, well, I mean, yeah, you should expect that. So does that mean holiness? Does holiness mean I will not sin? This was our conversation. Well, no, I mean, after all, we're, we're still sinners saved by grace. Then I can keep sinning and, and I can just, even though I'm expected to be holy. Well, no, you can't do that either. And it just caused this big struggle in me. Do I realize something? Yes, man, we struggle with this stuff. And when I mean struggle with this stuff, our flesh tempts us. And really, all of us are guilty in giving into that temptation. All of us are guilty. I am one that personally believes that nobody accidentally sins. I don't believe it. We choose our sin. We choose it every single time when somebody says, well, I didn't choose my anger when somebody, you know, cut me off on the road. Well, no, you, you, you kind of chose it ahead of time when you realized you weren't going to be patient with people. We choose our sin. The Apostle Peter wrote these words. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Man, I don't like looking in the mirror. I don't like it because the mirror hurts. The mirror doesn't lie. The mirror shows us exactly who we are. With that in mind, look at Colossians 3, chapter 5. I don't think the words could be more powerful than what they are, verses 5 through 11. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked, when you were living in them. Did you notice what he said? On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. These are things that you used to walk in. Present expectation. He goes on. Verse 8. But now you must put them all away. Look at his list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with, with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul said, put to death. Put to death. Kind of sounds like what Jesus said. We're going to look at it next week. If your right eye causes you to sin, what should you do with it? Gouge it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, what should you do with it? Cut it off. Uh, we'll deal with that 
or that hyperbole that Jesus was using next week, but it shows us the seriousness of sin and how we're supposed to look at it. How do we put sin to death? How do we put it to death? I'm not going to read the verses, all of them, but Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 10 give us a clear picture. And if you were to come up to me today and say, Larry, I'm really struggling with some kind of sin or something in my life. I just don't know how to overcome it. I would direct you right here to these verses. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Then I would challenge you to continue to read through Romans chapter 8 and to understand there's a process of what Paul's going through there that he gives us a clear picture of how we can begin to put sin to death. And the first first thing we have to understand is we have to remember we've died to it. We've died to sin. We, we can't live in it any longer. And, and so when it comes up, when that temptation comes up, it becomes this real simple process. No, I have died to you. I'm not living in you, living in you any longer. This is what Martin Luther did when he would declare in that Latin word, I don't even know the Latin word, but basically he would say, I'm a baptized man meaning that he was dead, buried with Christ, and alive in the newness of life with Christ. That's the promise that he gives us. So, so I want you to write those verses down and, and maybe look at them this week. Realize that we've died with Christ. Understand that we've been raised with Christ. We are no longer slaves to sin, and we count ourselves dead to sin. That's what Paul was doing there. I am going to read these next verses. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 16. He says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Who's he talking to? Brothers. He's talking to brothers there. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the power of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the Spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Listen, God gives us his word so that we can see our sin clearly. He gives us his spirit so that we can put to death the misdeeds or the deeds of the flesh. And he gives us his church to help us along that path. Friends, I've done this with this verse. I've done that. I've, done, I've walked through this process in my own temptations to sin in life. No, I have died to you. I can't live in any, in any longer. And, and, and when that is there, I, I give this reminder, by the power of the Spirit, I'm putting you to death. I'm not going to walk in you any longer. I'm not going to give in to you any longer. This is what happens. And God's Word clearly tells us, right, that He not only saves us for eternity, but He saves us for right now. And He gives us in His Spirit that as we walk in His Spirit, we can stay alive in Him. So as we're gazing into that mirror, we see someone who's spiritually or who is putting sin to death in our lives. One more test from a mirror from Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And as we're gazing into this spiritual mirror, we should see one who is seeking to glorify Christ now. Now, how many of us like buying new clothes? Anybody buy new clothes to wear to Easter? I did. I bought my shirt. I saw it. My bowling shirt. It is officially a bowling shirt with a cross on it. So, um, you know, we like new clothes, right? We especially like new clothes after we've been disciplined and lose a little bit of weight. We try those clothes on. We, we stand in the mirror and call people over to see how good we look. Let's look at verses 12 through 17 here. 
and Colossians 3. Put on then. Remember the last thing he said, put off. Put off the old self. Put on the new self. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Man, that last sentence. Focus in on that last sentence there, that last verse. Whatever you do, you mean it's possible to eat for the glory of God? Yes. Whatever you do, it's possible to work for the glory of God? Yes. Whatever you do, it's possible to have relationships for the glory of God? Yes. Whatever you do, Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Isn't that maybe the simplest spiritual mirror that we could ever have? I mean, when it's just us and us in that mirror and we're honest with ourselves, not lying to ourselves, but just being true, man, am I doing this for God's glory or am I doing this for me? Am I doing this to to satisfy some sinful desire in this flesh? Am I really living in such a way that God will be glorified with this? Really, that's the, a key test, right? Uh, to walk, this is Paul's way in this letter, to give us the fruits of the Spirit. If you dig deep enough in those verses, you'll find them. And he says in their love, as the Lord has loved you, allowing the peace of Christ to rule in your hearts, allowing the word of Christ to dwell in you, constantly turning our hearts to God, with thanksgiving, ruling our hearts and minds, whatever you do, whatever. How would life change if we saw the word whatever differently now? Instead of a way of just like casting everything aside, like whatever, whatever. And now seeing this like, okay, whatever, whatever it is, I'm going to seek to glorify God. I lost my job. All right, God, maybe I can glorify you and show it to me. Show me how I can glorify you. All right, God, I've struggled with this for so long and it's gotten me to this point. How can I glorify whatever it is, Lord? Help me to see it. I want to walk in you. So as you're gazing into that mirror, do you see someone who's living for God's glory every moment? If so, continue to walk in Christ. Continue to place yourself in a position to know him and grow Him in him. If not, what sin? What sin is keeping you from doing that? What sin do we need to repent of today? And when you do, renew that determination that you're going to seek Christ. You're going to set your mind on Christ, who is above. That's what the resurrected life now looks like. Resurrection Sunday is a Sunday to realize that hope. And, and, and if you're a follower of Christ and there's some work that you need to do in repentance, and, and please do so. And if you've yet to give your life to Christ and you're coming like, man, there's all this holiness talk and there's all this sin talk and there's all these other... I mean, understand this. If we're willing to be honest about our sin and we're willing to understand that Jesus loved us, that he died for us, 
that he was placed in a grave, resurrected from that grave, ascended into heaven, and one day is coming back to take us to be with him. If we realize that we're a sinner ready to put our faith in him, we can realize the hope of his word. What is the hope of his word? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Today, you can believe and repent and confess Christ to be the Lord of your life. You could submit to Christian baptism, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you can walk out of here on that chase that the rest of us are on. And can I let you on a little secret? If you thought Christians are perfect, man, we're on this constant chase. And I'm also let you on another little secret where people say Christianity is a crutch for the weak. I don't need one crutch. I need four of them. I need to keep carrying, I'm carrying around four of them, constantly walking on those crutches of Christianity because in myself, I'm not strong enough. I'm not strong enough. But he fills us with his spirit and he gives us the opportunity to be different tomorrow than we are today. If you're willing to confess Christ to be the Lord of your life, why not make today be that day you cross over from death to life? One other passage of scripture I used to write these words in my journal every morning, and now I've got a different journal. They're at the front of my journal, and so I, I flip over to the front of my journal, and I read Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. Start them off, and this is Paul writing these words. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul wrote these words more than a couple decades after meeting Christ. And it was the chase of his heart until, as history tells us, he had his head chopped off. Is that the chase of ours? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the love you give us and the grace we have in Christ. We thank you, Lord, once again for the opportunity we've had today to worship you, to lift up our prayers as one to you. And God, it's my prayer that each of us will indeed take some time to reflect into that spiritual mirror of your word. Knowing, God, that when your word properly convicts us of sin. It doesn't convict us to guilt us or shame us, but to give us an opportunity for life, for repentance, for your glory to be seen. So God, for the follower of Christ in the room that, that maybe needs to realign some priorities to seek Christ, set their minds on Christ, to put to death the sins of the flesh, Lord, to, to seek to live for his glory now, may, you, may your spirit, Lord, uh, give them the courage to take that step today and embolden them, Father, to renew their walk with you. And God, if there be a soul in the room that's yet to accept Jesus Christ to be the Lord of their lives, my prayer, Lord, is today. They'll see the cross in a much different manner and they'll feel and understand your love fully and completely. And today be the day that they believe they repent of their sins, confess Christ to be their Lord, submit themselves to baptism, and to walk out of here with your spirit indwelling them. Father, we thank you for Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We are going to stand and sing a song of invitation. If you'd like to respond in any way, I'd love to